0: Yes, hello there. Welcome to Thursday's Richie Allen Radio Show, broadcasting live from Salford. Hope you're well. Thanks for finding me. Please join in. Let me know your thoughts on the subjects I will be discussing via the website, richieallen.co.uk. You may also send a message via the app, the Richie Allen Show app today.
1: Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show.
2: It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host,
0: Richie Allen. Yeah, now a little bit later on, the wonderful Mark Windows returns to the program, I think November, early November, last time Mark was on. He's in the UK, I believe, today. Uh, Mark Windows from windowsontheworld.com. It is, it's not .net, it's .com. It always gets me, that one. Mark will be on for an extended conversation. Before that, I'm going to have a little wander uh, through the big news stories of the day. I've already said, if you'd like to join in, do so the usual ways. Your usual way. However you usually join in, join in. I'm going to begin by reading an email, though. Yeah, I am. Indeedy. Because that's... It's not something I do very often. Maybe I should do it often enough. Now, this is a bit of a long email. Might take me about three to four minutes to read. But I think it's good. Um, Last programme would have been Tuesday, wouldn't it? I was musing. I was musing. I was opining on the whole concept of white privilege. And I threw a few concepts out there for you to shoot down. One or two ideas. And you shot them down and you came at me, which is a good thing. Anyway, this is from Al Bundy. Not the real Al Bundy. Uh, The real Al Bundy was played by Ed O'Neill, married with children. Very funny sitcom, which we used to watch in the 90s, in the small hours of Saturday morning. Anyway, Richie, regarding white privilege and you saying we cannot go by our own experience, we should take the subject as a whole, I strongly disagree, says Al. And here's why, and he's written this excellent email. He says, Dozal, I grew up in a council flat in London, one of eight children. Eight. My father was a drunk, but he had this false sense of pride that would not allow him to permit my mother to work, so we were very poor. I hardly went to school because the other kids would make fun of me for the clothes I wore and the fact that I could not read or write. When I was old enough to work, says Al, I did any job I could get, including labourer on building sites. I was a dustman. I even worked in sewers, shoveling shit, he says. At that time, I decided to go to evening classes to learn to read and write, which I did. I still have no formal qualifications, but after moving from one shite job to another, I decided to learn to drive and then study for uh, the knowledge of London. I found a job working in Spittlefields Wholesale Fruit Market. We began work each day at 3.30am. We would finish around 10am. Then I would go out on my little motorbike learning the streets, etc. until 2pm. Then I would go to the school uh, to learn until 5pm. After this, I would go home, eat some food and basically go to bed ready to do the whole thing again the next day. I did this for four years. Every day, six days a week. While I was studying, Ken Livingstone, mayor at the time, decided that the cab trade was too white and too male. So he began an initiative that would allow non-whites to attend the school to learn about London. They would have their fees paid and they were given a grant to buy a motorcycle and the appropriate clothing. I must be honest, Richie, and say I was a little envious of those people getting everything for nothing. But when I see it through their eyes... They were the same as me, just trying to make a better life for themselves. And I know, had I been offered everything for nothing, I would have grabbed it with both hands. Here's why I disagree with you, Richie. We cannot be judged as a whole. And if you think about it, we are all small parts of the whole. If I said I was a white male and I was a racist, would that make you racist because we were both white white males? No, says Al. So answer this question. Can you point me in the direction of all the benefits I can get as a white English male? Yet there are courses uh, slash benefits available to people that have come to this country that are not available to me. But I am a firm believer that this country, in brackets politicians, have a lot to answer for going to other countries that are no threat to me or to you, and destroying the places, basically bombing them back to the Stone Age. These are not mine, nor your wars. You, the same as me, probably just want a better life for everybody.' I decided I was sick of shoveling shit and did something about it. I don't think I got on because of my white privilege. I got on because I made an effort to do so. I think the same can be said for lots of migrants who come here to make a better life for themselves. They have been so far down the ladder of opportunity it would make my story seem tame, maybe. I am sure it's not those or any other person of colour that thinks we have white privilege. It is the people behind the scenes trying to divide us all. I know this is like a book, and you probably won't read it, but it's done me good to get it off my chest. Thanks, Richie, and I wish you and yours a happy and long life. Thank you very much, Al Bundy. I did read it, uh, despite you thinking it's a book. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. I, I, I might take a listen back. Not me. But anybody who was um, annoyed by what I was saying the other night, I wasn't saying I believe in the concept of it. I was trying to see it from other points of view. And I think I said, I think I finished up by saying, and then I'm going to leave it there because there's so much to talk about. Finally, I, I said, you know, arguments can be made that you might be better off being born white in 2024 than being born black. That Those arguments could be made. I'm not saying I believe them. I'm saying those arguments could be made. Excellent email, Al. Thank you very much. Let's talk about Gaza and the UK Parliament. Now, this is interesting, I think, so please bear with me if you can. Yesterday was SNP Opposition Day in Westminster, in the Commons. What does it mean? Well, opposition days are days allocated in the House of Commons for the discussion of and sometimes voting on subjects chosen by non-government parties. Around 20 such days are allocated in every parliamentary session. You might wonder what's the bloody point when nothing discussed or voted upon can become law because it's the opposition party and the opposition party or parties, they cannot give life to a vote, they cannot give life to legislation. Yes, but they do it anyway, 20 times a parliamentary session. So yesterday was the Scottish National Party's day, and they wanted us to discuss a ceasefire. They wanted to debate a motion and put it to a vote again. It must be said, even though the vote wouldn't amount to more than a hill of beans. Okay, so the Scottish Nationalists yesterday could put forward motions for debate and for vote. I think you're up to speed on opposition days. Yeah. Okay. Now, the SNP tabled a motion, calling for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. How it would work, how it should work is, this would have meant MPs would debate and vote on the motion before then moving on to any amendments tabled by other parties. Speaker of the House, Lindsay Hoyle, he broke with tradition. He allowed a Labour amendment on the SNP motion first. And this caused consternation on the benches of the SNP and the Conservatives. It's not how it ordinarily happens. Right, the SNP is calling the shots. It's their opposition day. But anyway, Hoyle broke with tradition. Why? Well, here's why. Or maybe why. The initial motion tabled by the SNP called for an immediate ceasefire, but, and, importantly, an end to the collective Punishment of the Palestinian people. Now, Keir Starmer and the Labour shadow front bench, well, they had kittens, you see. They shit their trousers and their skirts, you see, because they would have had to vote on this, you see. And Labour backbenchers are really pissed off with how weak Keir Starmer has been on Israel. How totally weak he's been. In fact, he's been the opposite of weak, didn't he? At the outset of the Israeli bombardment of Gaza, didn't he say that if the Israelis wanted to withhold food and water, they had every right to He did, didn't he? He said that if Israel wants to commit crimes against humanity, well, Israel should go and do it, said Keir Starmer. Palestinians supporting Labour backbenchers, well, they were properly pissed off. So, they crapped themselves when the wording, when the wording, End the collective punishment of the Palestinian people. So they ran to the Speaker's office, did Keir Starmer and his Labour chums and said, please allow us to put an amendment in first. Please, please, please. Please, okay. And and our amendment would call for a humanitarian ceasefire, but we would also acknowledge that Labour excuse me, that Israel cannot be expected to cease fighting if Hamas continues with violence. Please, Lindsay, please, please, please. We can't have the Israeli lobby falling out with us. We've been accused of anti-Semitism for years. I've just cleaned up the party of anti-Semitism. Please, 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 please don't ask us to vote first on the Scottish National Party calling for an end to the collective punishment of the Palestinian people. So Hoyle, Lindsay Hoyle said yes. And then we had chaos. Okay, chaos. So Hoyle has been accused of being pressured by Starmer because Starmer was crapping himself in the manner I have just explained. Right, again, he thought Labour backbenchers would vote with the SNP and call for an end to the collective punishment of the Palestinian people. We cannot be seen to criticise Israel. Uh, They would have defied him, backbenchers, and voted with the SNPs. So not to drag out this point, but it's important, he got in the ear of the Speaker and said, let me put an amendment to what the SNP has said before we vote on their amendment. Motion, motion, motion on their motion. Right, so this has dominated the media today. There have been calls for the Speaker to go. About 60 MPs have signed a letter of no confidence in the Speaker. Now, Lindsay Hoyle said that the the real... The the, the, the the real reason for the chaos last night is that he is worried about the safety of MPs in Westminster. That is what he said. I want you to think about this now. It's not about the Israeli lobby, the Zionist lobby, no. I'm I'm worried about the safety of MPs working at Westminster. What did he mean by that? Well, let's have a listen to Julia Hartley Brewer... Talk radio, a card carrying Tory, Brewer amazingly blames radical Islam for yesterday's debacle. Now, you try and figure this one out. Blames the rise and the spread of radical Islamist ideology in the UK for the nonsense that went on in the House of Commons last night. Does she explain it? Let's have a listen. Julia Hartley Brewer, Talk Radio.
3: A lot of anger, isn't there, about the chaotic scenes, the outrageous scenes inside Parliament. But let's talk about the outrageous scenes outside Parliament.
0: Ah, what was going on outside Parliament?
3: Across the country that influenced what our elected representatives chose to do yesterday. Because, yes, so...
0: she's going to explain that Keir Starmer and Lindsey Hoyle were not influenced by the dread of being accused of anti-Semitism if they called on Israel to stop collectively punishing the Palestinians. No, no. What was really going on was they were being influenced by radical Islamic Jihad. And she explains it.
3: Lindsay Hoyle was clearly pressured to allow that Labour amendment. And yes, it does appear that the Labour Party and the Labour leadership did pressure him because, well, not just because they wanted to have a a vote that didn't make uh, Labour rebels, make the Keir Starmer look bad and look weak. But they also were in fear for the lives of some of their MPs.
0: Wow. They were terrified about the safety of their MPs. Go on.
3: We see that across all of the benches. Why? Because a highly political, highly violent ideology called Islamism is sweeping our nation. No, this is not Islamophobia.
0: Well, it is, it is.
3: This is real. You know how this is real? Because we actually see the victims of that. Not just in Mike Freer, the Justice Minister, who said he's not standing for Parliament again because of the threats to him and his family from Islamist ideologists. Uh, we see it in Sir David Amos. An MP brutally murdered because of Islamic ideology. We see that in Stephen Timms, a Labour MP, thankfully survived a stabbing in his own constituency. Yes, we all focus on Jo Cox, talk about her all the time. Another tragic death at the hands of a far-right extremist. But actually, the far-right extremist violence is by far minority. Let's just go through just a list of the Islamic uh, extremist events we've seen in recent years. Um, let's go back to the London Bridge attacks, 2019
0: and 2017. Bizarre. The, the London Bridge attacks. God, we lampooned that narrative, didn't we, on this programme? The anomalies around the London Bridge attacks, the craziness of that. Yeah.
3: The Reading attack in a park uh, in 2020. The Manchester Arena attack in 2017.
0: And there are many problems with the official narrative around the Manchester Arena attack, as we've discussed many times on this programme. Also in
3: 2017, the Westminster attack. The Woolwich murder of Lee Rigby back in 2013. Um, does anyone remember 7-7 in 2005 when we nah, we're thick. We lost 52 people in those uh, horrific bomb attacks? On in those
0: the- horrific bomb attacks. Even Brewer knows that 7th of July 2005 is one of the most obvious staged false flag events of all time. Yes, lots of people died, but the four men blamed for it. And I used to know all of their names, Mohammed, Sadiq Khan. They had nothing to do with it. They were patsies. This has been proven. Again, I've been talking about it for years. The 7th of July is one of, the, one of the most obvious, the most blatantly staged false flag attacks in the history of false flag terrorism. Where you blow something up and blame it on Party B, when in reality you've done it because you want to elicit a response from the public. You want the public to go along with your forever wars in the Middle East. Right, she must know this, Brewer. I mean, how many times have I played the clip? I've played it, I've been playing it now for 12, 13, 14 years of the guy who went on ITN News. um, Power, Peter Power, was that his name? The guy who went on ITN News on the evening of the 7th of July bombings and said, it's an amazing thing, you won't believe it, he said to the ITN guy. We were running a drill today, imagining a scenario where people blew up buses and trains in exactly the same stations. Would you believe it? Uh, Peter Power, I think his name was, said to the stunned ITN uh, anchor in the studio. And the ITN said, wow, wow. The, guy, the ITN guy said, wow, that, that must be quite extraordinary, Peter. Yeah, what a fucking coincidence. Right, anyway.
3: Buses and tubes. Does anyone remember the Batley grammar school teacher? Oh, shut
0: up, Brewer, get to your point. Four
3: years ago, just showed an image from Charlie Hebdo of Prophet Muhammad to his class he's been in hiding fearing for his life ever since. Right, right
0: and that's not good. People should be able to show pictures or cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad if they like. I totally agree with that. But many of the events you mentioned are seriously questionable. What was your point? She gets to her point.
3: We have been brushing this issue under the carpet for years.
0: Now she's blaming, what she's discussing here now, these radical Islamist attacks over the years, she's blaming them on Keir Starmer crapping himself, right and rushing to the Speaker's office to say, we can't have Labour MPs voting on the wording you know, collective punishment of the Palestinian people. We can't. So please allow me insert an amendment which waters down the language a bit so that we don't worry or annoy the Israeli lobby. She's blaming it on radical Islam. This is farcical.
3: Another terror attack. Another killing of an MP. Oh don't worry. Let's light a candle. Let's all sing. Let's look. Don't look back in anger and sing Kumbaya and everything will be okay. The one thing we must not do is face up. To the threat that we have imported to our country and no this isn't islamophobia that is though this isn't talking about the four million muslims who live peaceably in this country who want to just make a life for themselves for them ch- their children go to work and live lives the same as everyone else of any other religion or none
0: Ash should up you daft mint i mean she must know that the guy who was blamed for the attack in manchester on in may 2017 she must know the guy's name um salman abedi she must know he was the son of an MI6 asset called Ramadan Abadi, who, who MI6 paid and trained, um, t- sorry, who, who MI6 paid for him to recruit and to train people who would kill Colonel Muammar Gaddafi. I mean, she must know this. So there are massive problems with the 2017 Manchester Arena attack. Massive problems with it, in terms of the official story. She must know this, but apparently not.
3: We are talking now about a sizable minority, a far too large minority of extremists, in or miss, pushed on often by the far left. Yes, the far left, not the far right. To say basically that if they don't like something that happens in this country, what someone says or what someone dares or an image they show, they have the right to shut that down with their threats. Last night, they shut down our democracy. And the Speaker of the House of Commons and the Labour leader and all the other MPs who went along, they allowed it to happen. But I don't criticise the MPs because they are living for fear of their lives.
0: This is astonishing. It's, it's astounding. All the while Brewer was reading this obviously carefully prepared monologue. A screen to her left was running still images and film of the protests against the genocide in Gaza. So not very subtle, love. Not very subtle at all. The message is pretty clear, you see. You know, the protests against the ongoing genocide against the Palestinian people right, are being blamed for what happened in Westminster last night, when in, you know, in reality, she's saying, she's saying the reality is radical Islam is openly flaunted on the streets of the UK. Just to put that into perspective, we're seeing hundreds of thousands of people come out to protest against the slaughter of children. She's saying that's not what's happening. What's really happening is radical Islam is flaunting on the streets of the UK. This is preposterous and it's untenable. But we live in a post-truth world where people like idiots like Brewer can say anything without any fear of being challenged. So she says MPs are in fear of their lives, of offending these terrorists, and therefore we saw this catastrophe last night. When it's obvious that it wasn't radical Islam that Keir Starmer and Lindsay Hoyle were, were afraid of, it was the Israeli lobby in the UK. Right. As I mentioned, when I uh, p- put the papers podcast together this morning, there's even a, a, an interview in the Telegraph with a guy called William Shawcross, okay, a counter-terrorism guy who's worked for the government and recently um, presented for the government a set of proposals for the government to improve its own counter-terrorism strategy. And he talked to The Telegraph today in an exclusive interview about a Hamas support network in the UK, which has become dangerous following Hamas's attack in Israel on October 7th. This is horseshit. What an inversion. What an inversion this is, right? No, 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 says Julia Hartley Brewer. Keir Starmer is not afraid of offending the all-powerful Israeli lobby when all the evidence to hand is that he is. It was the language of collectively punishing the Palestinians that caused Starmer to have kittens to run to Lindsay Hoyle and say, please you know, I I can't be embarrassed again by my backbenchers voting for that with that strong language the Israeli lobby will accuse us again of anti-Semitism. So it's an incredibly hard sell, uh, the Julia Hartley Brewer line, that they're terrified of radical Islamists and those radical Islamists attacking and murdering MPs—it's mad, isn't it? It really is. Let's stay for a moment with MPs fearing for their lives, shall we? Uh, Joe Coburn presents Politics Live live even on BBC Two. She asked Labour MP Rosie Duffield and Tory MP, the deputy of the Conservative Party, sorry, the deputy chairman of the Conservative Conservative Party, Matt Vickers. This question. So she has Rosie Dunfield Labour. You'll know her. Um, She's standing up a lot for women's rights, biological women's rights. So you have her and Tory Deputy Chairman Matt Vickers. Joe Coburn with the question, are you scared are you?
1: all right? let's talk uh, about the safety um, of MPs. Personal experiences uh, (laughs) Rosie, for you and many others. What is it like? I had a letter yesterday from the Crown Prosecution Service to say that uh, a case of a death threat against me and Joe Rowling and Joanna Cherry is in fact going to court and the threshold is pretty high so most of the kind of threats I get I don't always report all of them and the ones you report you don't expect to hear anything else but this particular one is being taken seriously so I thought it was ironic that I got the letter yesterday to say we'll let you know when it's when the court date is through uh, and that was in my pocket when I was in the chamber and uh, you know all of these things are on your mind at some level. You try to, you try to, none of us are wallflowers. All of us are tough, otherwise we wouldn't be in parliament. I am not a shrinking violet, but it's always there at some level. And we've all been through Brexit. We've been through the the times where we before were told to only leave by certain entrances and exits. And here we are again. And it does weigh you down, I have to be honest. It does mm. weigh you down. I mean, what, what, what's it like? You also refer to the, the safety of MPs, the pressure that you are under to vote a certain way. What's it like every day being an MP?
0: This is Matt Vickers.
1: I th- do you know what?
2: I think at the beginning it's horrifying. When the first, thing, when the first threat comes through or the first bit of abuse occurs, on the street, it's, 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 and then over time, I think, to some it extent, happens. you become slightly numb to it yeah. and you realise it's part of the day. And actually, you probably feel more for the people around you in that we make the decision to do yeah. what we do the people around us do not make the decision to have a son or a wife or a husband who goes out and puts themselves uh, at risk with some of this stuff. So Mm. I think it's yeah, it's tougher for the people around you probably. Yeah, it's
0: tough. It's tough being an MP, the abuse, the threats. Um, Rosie Duffield has been threatened by radical trans people or supporters of trans people. Right. Now, sitting on the same panel was Telegraph sketch writer Tim Stanley. Um, What does he think about MPs and them claiming they are concerned about being attacked by members of the public. Tim Stanley.
4: Everything you've described is totally unacceptable. One thing I want to add is that no one is more horrible to MPs than other MPs. Mm. Yes. And you should hear, I'm a sketch writer, I sit in the lobby, I watch, I watch debates. You should hear the things that MPs say about other MPs. Yes. Accusing them of being betray- uh, traitors. Accusing them of being soft on paedophiles and murderers. Uh, accusing them uh, of uh, killing the disabled. Through government Unfiction cuts. Unfit around the country, we had Un- this morning. Right, okay. We, so, so MPs do this to MPs yeah. all the time. And then MPs come out and say, but we've got to be kind. Yeah. And I'm so worried about the mental health of yeah. different people. I just think of one example. So true. Saint mm. Chris Bryant, <laughs> who famously used parliamentary privilege to suggest that Nigel Farage had received half a million pounds from the Russian government. This was completely untrue. And Bryant knew it was untrue. It had consequences because when Nigel Farage was debanked by Coots, that claim was mentioned in Coots's dossier on Nigel Farage. Fine. That is an attack upon a private citizen. It's the kind of thing that MPs do to people outside of Parliament and to each other all the time. And they shouldn't receive the abuse they receive, fine. But if we're really going to go down this path now of saying we need to talk about politics and how do we clean it up, it's going to have to begin with politicians right, well, being nice well, to ask, other do you politicians. Accept, do you- Yeah,
0: she couldn't wait to to stop him, Joe Coburn, talking about Farage and Bryant. I was thinking today, as I do, it makes me very tired. I don't know about you, but when I think I start to get very sleepy, it's such an effort. It really is. I began to think, um, first of all, because I know certain people do listen to programmes like this. They try to catch you out. Um, I maintain now the stance I have always maintained. Violence is horrible. Regardless of who is perpetrating it, um, regardless, regardless of who is doing it or what their excuse for doing it is, violence is terrible. However, treacherous you might believe a public servant is, you have absolutely no right to put your hands on them or to threaten them or their family. That is my stance. I always, It's been at the core of my being my entire adult life. It's unacceptable. Now, he says, but is there a but? Right. I began to think, right, MPs, members of Parliament, saying that, and we've heard quite a bit of this in recent years, it's not just about, it's not just, what I'm I'm, I'm in fear of my life. I, I saw what happened to David Amos. I, I remember Joe Cox back in, in 2016. I, it's not just that it's, um, I can't go anywhere without being screamed at something has to be done about it. I, I leave my constituency office and people shout across the street. They shout names. They call me names. You hear this all the time. I was listening to BBC Radio 5 Live the other morning. There was an MP on there and the MP said, when we're in the, 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 the cafeteria in the House of Commons or the bar or wherever, we swap these stories. Everybody is getting it. We're getting abuse when we open up, I don't know, when we when we go to a bake sale, When we go to a funeral, MPs love funerals, just like TDs in Ireland. They scour the death notices for funerals. They love funerals. Gives them a chance to glad hand and do all of that fake bullshit, you know, pretend they care. So this MP, whose name I can't remember, but it might come back to me, told Nicky Campbell, you know, every one of us, we can't go out now without somebody screaming at us because of something they think we did or said. So it's not violence. It's disgruntled people shouting across the street that they're concerned about. And I began to have a think, like I said, it made me very sleepy. Maybe I need to consider that. Might be a way out of my my chronic my my, my chronic I can't even remember I'm so tired. Insomnia. I just look back over the last twenty five years. Right? Now a lot of today's MPs were not in Parliament twenty five years ago, but some of them were. And some of them were in Parliament say twenty years ago. Parliamentary cycle is five years, okay? It should be anyway. They 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 introduced the fixed parliament par, the, the, What what was what's the act called exactly? You've got to you've you've, you've got to bear with me. I've had chronic to say chronic insomnia the last two to three days. has been horrendous. Um, the, the fixed term the fixed parliamentary term act. Anyway, it's got to be five years now. Okay, so that we don't have all of these elections all the time, which don't matter. Anyhow, I'm going to get to the point. I'm going to get to the point. I began to look back over the last 25 years, keeping in mind that MPs say that it's scary now to be in public because people shout abuse at them. And I looked over the last 25 years. Do you know what? Members of Parliament in the UK alone, forget about the United States, forget about France, Germany, Spain, Italy, in the UK alone in the last 25 years, which is just a grain of sand. In terms of history, if you think of time as a beach, 25 years is a grain of sand. In 25 years, UK members of parliament approved wars in Iraq, Afghanistan and Libya, just to name three, based on lies that resulted in the murder, let's not call it killed, let's not say death, the murder of three million people and the displacement of millions more. MPs in this country oversaw the bailout of some of the most corrupt financial institutions in the world after the manufactured 2008 financial crash. They bailed out casino banks. Banksters, we call them. I can't remember who coined the term bankster. But they bailed out casino banksters, criminals, arch criminals, who took the pensions of millions of people and flushed them down the toilet and caused thousands of people to lose their homes. None of those casino banksters went to prison. MPs did that. They approved the bailouts. At the expense of you and me, the taxpayer, the electorate. Billions! billions, even though hundreds of thousands of people lost their homes, lost everything. MPs were told to bail out the people. They were told to fuck the banks, let them fail, as was only right and proper, send them to jail, and and, and let's have new banks. No, no, we can't do that. We won't bail out the people. No, no. MPs in the last 25 years have carried out, or carried on, carried on. Thatcher's privatisation agenda still going on today. You don't believe me? Just put privatisation into a search engine then click news. The bastards continue to sell anything of any value to their corporate paymasters again, to the detriment of the public purse and the electorate. They forced austerity on the country, introduced exotic madnesses like the fucking bedroom tax, while companies like McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Amazon, and many more paid absolutely squat, squat, right? While plunging people into poverty. MPs locked the country down. Well, Johnson did, and his government, at the behest of the scientist man. But what did the opposition do? And the idiots and the Lib Dems and the Scottish National Party and the Greens? They urged them to do it faster and stronger. They locked the country down, MPs, tens of thousands dead, financial ruin, suicide, businesses fucking destroyed, more foreclosures, more foreclosures, more foreclosures, old folks locked up and left to die without seeing their loved ones imprisoned, cocooned in care homes. They then, MPs, approved a deadly experimental mRNA shot that has killed tens of thousands of people that we know of, and to this very day, Thursday, February 22nd, they still continue, MPs do, to lie and say the fucking thing is safe. MPs. MPs. They send billions of pounds in money and weapons to Ukraine, while seven million people here in this country cannot get a hospital appointment. For many of them, that is a death sentence. Because if they were able to be seen, whatever is wrong with them might be caught early, might be treated, they might be back on their feet, but many of them are going to die. MPs. M-fucking-P's. They're using the threat, the, the the threat even of climate change to bankrupt farmers, to destabilise the food supply and to attack your right and my right to travel in our own fucking cars. Where we want to go, when we want to go and what time we want to go there. MPs. It is MPs. They should be fucking scared, right? Imagine, imagine your party to that everything I've just said, and you're going on the television and you're crying about being nervous when you leave your house. Again, I'm not contradicting myself. I wish no physical harm on anybody. It is not right. It is low vibrational stuff. They will eventually have to answer for it. It's not for you or me to be threatening them or their family. But they should be fucking scared, right? Right, when you listen to that list again read out, the cheek of them, the cheek of them, The cheek of them arguing over the the language, arguing over the language, arguing over the wording of a statement that tells one country, one of the best armed countries in the world, to stop bombing and destroying the children of Palestine. One and a half million people locked into Rafa and they argue about the language of it. They're terrified of offending Israel. And then we can't have people knowing that we're terrified of offending Israel. So let's get Julia Hartley Brewer to invent a cock-and-bull story about, well, they're really scared of offending radical Islamists, even though that is the most counterintuitive fucking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. If they were really scared, if they were really scared of, um, you know, incurring the wrath of radical Islamists, they'd be putting out statements against Israel every day of the fucking week. Wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? Uh, the time is uh, 25 minutes to the top of the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show and these are the Waterboys then. The moon. Yeah, the Waterboys and the whole of the Moon on the Richie Allen Show. I think it might be from This Is the Sea. I could be wrong. Thanks for your comments. Lots of them. Really appreciate them. Uh, keep them coming in via the website, via uk. Les says, words of consequences. These politicians here and in the States think they can shout their mouth off and then go home at night and everything will be okay. Thank you for that, Les. Good evening to Mick. Good evening to Tristan and to Carl in Leicester. Hello, Carl. Uh, hi to Richard, who says, Richie, don't forget about the Assembly members in Wales. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, good evening, Ian. Thank you, Ian. Uh, and Paul from Hyde. Hi, Paul. Appreciate your comment as well. I really appreciate it. Rob says, the problem being the sheep keep voting them in. Well, this this is true, you see. And most of the independent media, don't um, groan, don't yawn. I'm not going to have a pop at the independent media again. I'm certainly not going to mention any individuals. But most of it operates on, well, most of it is coming at you from the point of view that um, um, all we got to do is get Donald Trump back in or or all we got to do is get Richard Tice and Nigel Farage in. You know, they're the right guys. Most of the independent media is simply just alternative light. You, you know, you don't hear this in the independent media. You just do not. You know. Um, but yeah, that's right. Hi to Screech. Hello, Screech. Hi to Lorraine. Uh, appreciate your comment as well. Good evening to Bridget. Thank you, Bridget. The Papers podcast is available pretty much Monday to Friday at uh, around about 7am UK time. Uh, Diane says, I agree with MPs and TDs destroying people's lives with legislation and expect no comeback. Life doesn't work like that. Bullies must be stood up to. Uh, Steve has posted a link to the Ripple Effect film which is a takedown of the... I don't think I've ever watched Ripple Effect, to be honest. I don't think I've ever seen it. A takedown of the 7th of July bombing narrative. But um, I read Nick Cotterstrom's book, Terror on the Tube, which is brilliant. I interviewed Nick Cotterstrom at the time. I gave him a proper chasing, you know, even though I'd read the book and I knew he'd research, it was right on. But, you know, to do my job I gave him a proper chasing and then allowed him to speak and he pulled it apart brick by brick. It is so ridiculous. You know it is so i'm I'm amazed that as as Google seems to be in the business of disappearing facts off of the internet I mean Google is doing this all the time. It is amazing to me that you can still get the Peter Power audio, which to me is the most I'm not exaggerating when I say this. it is the most shocking bit of video you'll ever see really. I showed it to my 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 pal Hayden Hewitt. And Aidan has always been a bit agnostic about false flag terror and stuff, you know. When I say agnostic, um, he—I suppose agnostic is about right. You know, he—he's completely open to the concept that intelligence agencies will will do th- these things, but um, some of the characters, you know, some of the some of the truthers who put out films and stuff like that. I think Hayden's got an issue with some of the truths, But anyway, but he he's open to the concept. I remember when I showed him the Peter Power Clip and he said there's no answer to that. There, there is no answer to that. You cannot accept that. You cannot accept that that as 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 a British citizen, which I'm not, you couldn't and you shouldn't accept when your government tells you these four guys blew up some tube trains and blew up a double decker bus. Okay. And then you're told by a guy who works in trauma, uh, sorry, who works in, in um, uh, training. Uh, what, what did Power do? He worked for a company the trained organisations how to deal with terrorist attacks. Exactly, Richie. It's been a long week for me. It's been a difficult week. I'm not getting into it here now, but it has been. So I'm a tiny bit on the fatigued side, so my brain's a bit foggy at the moment. So, you can't tell people, right, Sadiq Khan and his mates, they blew up these trains and these buses and killed people. And then, oh by the way, we were running a drill on the evening in question, sorry, on the day in question, imagining exactly that scenario at exactly the same locations. You, you cannot accept that as a coincidence. You cannot accept you know, if you watch that clip, you look at the expression on the face of the ITN news anchor. The guy nearly shits a brick. Because even a guy who's only been in the job for six months he knows he has been handed a bag of shit on his own news programme. If I'd have been in the chair that night and Peter Power said to me we were there doing a drill, imagining the same scenario. I I don't grandstand Um, when, when I interview people, I do not grandstand. I would have very calmly said to him, do you really expect me to believe that? This is shocking. What you are telling me is beyond shocking. I can't find the words to describe it. We're being told that dead bodies are littering tube stations in London and bits of bodies are on the street near a double-decker bus. And this is real, but you were imagining a drill on the day today at the same locations, the same scenario. You can't convince me of that. There's something very wrong here. And ultimately, what I believe happened was those four lads, those four Muslim lads, God loves them. You know what the best guess is? The best guess is they were, because Muhammad Sadiq Khan was a much admired man in his own community. Leeds, I think. A youth worker. He was, uh, he, he had everything to live for. There was no nothing that suggested this guy had been radicalised anywhere. You know what they, what they did to those poor men? This is the, the levels of evil that exist in our world today. I think they said to those guys, do you want to make a few bob? Do you want to work for a training company in London? Come down for the weekend, we'll give you a nice few quid for it. And um, we want you to, to basically act. We want you to be actors in a drill. And the lad said, yeah, go on then, we will. And I think they gave them rucksacks with real bombs in them. And I think at the same time, they planted bombs under the carriages of those tubes. That is the the level of evil that exists in our world today. And they did that because they wanted to change the public's mind on... Because the public were getting pissed off of the British Army's presence in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's my explanation for it. But nobody's going to tell me that it is acceptable, that I have to swallow that shit that while these people were being killed, a drill was going on in the same location, imagining the exact same scenario, down to the placements of the bombs. Really, Peter? Really? Peter, don't go anywhere. You know, madness, isn't it? 14 minutes to at the top of the hour. Never forget the first time I saw that clip. That was life-changing. I was shown that clip sometime in late 2006, and I couldn't believe it. I, th- I thought, how did I miss this? Because I didn't... You know, I watched a lot of the coverage on, on The Evening in Question, like most people in the UK did, because pretty much every television station was covering it. Regular programming was suspended. And I didn't see this. I never saw this guy, Peter Power. And, w- and what I can't understand for the life of me is, here's the $64 million question. Why did Power say this on national television? Is it because they like to rub it in our faces, do you think? Now, I'm not saying that Power was involved in the murdering of anybody. I'm not saying that at all. Maybe Power did think he was part of some drill, maybe. Maybe that's why Power went on telly. Maybe Power went on telly before anybody could stop him going on telly. Maybe Power genuinely thought he was part of a drill. On the day, maybe. But that's, I could never figure it out afterwards, why these people who carry out these false flag attacks, who plan them, and in many cases murder innocent people, although not always, as we know, the, the the Boston thing, the Marathon thing is the most bizarre. Another one is completely bizarre. Why did Power end up on national telly saying we were running a drill? Admittedly, the clip was never shown again on television. Anyway, I'm um, waffling now, so I am. Have a listen to this dipstick today in Parliament. Or well, before we do though, you know, they're talking about MPs being in danger. You know that um, the... The Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau, Justin Trudeau, you know he's uh, introducing a bill in Canada right a, an an anti hate speech bill, and um, here he is on a podcast It's only thirty seconds long. I got this from Twitter. Here he is on a podcast a couple of days ago. It does sound very much like they know at this stage that more and more people are alive to to their game. Listen to Trudeau there is
1: out there a deliberate undermining of mainstream media. There are the conspiracy theorists, there are the social media drivers who uh,
3: are trying to do everything they can to keep people in their little filter bubbles, to prevent people from actually
0: agreeing on a common set of facts the way, you know, the CBC and CTV when they were... To prevent people from agreeing on a common set of facts. I mean, this is beyond Orwell, this. You know, the- CBC and CTV, when they were our only sources of news you know, used to, used to, and global, used to project across the country at least a common understanding of things. There used to be a common understanding of things when there was only three or four news networks. God be with the days, Trudeau was saying. God be with the days when it was that much easier to control what people think and to make them believe anything. God damn the independent media now for challenging these narratives. How dare they? Something needs to be done about them and that's where we're going. Something needs to be done about us, is what Trudeau is saying. Can we talk about Ukraine for a minute? Again, these MPs, I listed their crimes in the last 25 years. Not to mention, as one or two of you have said to me, uh, through the app, through the messaging, you know, the fiddling with their expenses and all of that cheating and all of that. Yes, here is the Defence Secretary, Grant Shapps, today. Now, this is purely vaudevillian. It doesn't get any more ridiculous. Shaps has had every job in the government. He's obviously a patsy. He's a stooge. He knows nothing about defence. He's a front man. Listen to him telling the Commons today what the British government is doing these days to assist the Ukrainian war effort. Have a listen. As
2: President Zelensky said to me when I visited, the UK's contribution has been monumental. And he pointed out that since the start of the conflict, the UK has sent almost 400 different types of capabilities to Ukraine. Together we've shown that when Ukraine wants, gets what it needs, it can win, which is why the UK is continuing to step up our support. Last month the Prime Minister announced we'll be investing a further £2.5 billion Into military support for Ukraine.
0: Always money for war. Another two and a half billion. Okay,
2: anything else? Taking our total military package so far to over seven billion pounds. And our total support to over 12 billion pounds. 12 billion. Accounting for economic and humanitarian as well. So, Mr. Deputy Speaker, in that spirit, today I can announce a new package. What? Even more? Of 200 brimstone anti-tank missiles in a further boost to defend Ukraine. Those
0: who are saying here, here, I'd love to cut out their tongues. I told you I'm a mass of contradictions. On the one hand, I completely decry violence, but at times I listen to that shit and I think I wish somebody had punched one of them in the face. Here, here, let's send the most disgusting weapons ever devised. Let's send the most disgusting, the worst things, the worst of humanity, the worst of human ingenuity. Let's send them more of those so they can kill more young men and women, because that's who's dying, you know, young Russian and young Ukrainian men and women, usually from working class backgrounds. They've got fuck all. They don't even know why they're fighting just getting blown to pieces day in, day out by weapons manufactured in Russia and in the UK and France and in the United States. Let's keep sending them more and more and more.
2: These missiles have previously had significant impact on the battlefield. In one instance, uh, forcing Russian forces to abandon and retreat an attempted crossing. Wow.
0: Those missiles prevented the Russians crossing a river.
2: Of a river. But members will recall a few days ago, President Zelensky told the Munich Security Conference that an artificial deficit of weapons will only help Russia. And he is right.
0: He's right. And?
2: And so today we're giving Ukraine more of the help they need, inflating their capabilities so they can defend freedom's front line.
0: They can't give a pay rise to junior doctors in this country. At a time when there are 7 million people, as I've already said in the programme, I'm well aware, I'm repeating myself, they can't give junior doctors and nurses and firefighters and everybody else who's struggling a few extra quid. But you know what we can do? We can send billions to Ukraine to keep this ridiculous war going on so that we can blame the war for a rise in food prices and petrol prices and diesel prices and lots and lots of young men and women get blown to pieces in the snow of Ukraine. Um yeah, but no money for the things that really matter.
2: Other capabilities will also be coming their way too. The RUK-founded and administered international fund for you. I, I, he's,
0: he's so horrible to listen to. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. He goes on to say that, he's, that, that Ukraine is going to receive thousands of drones. Thousands of drones from the UK. Here's the point of all of that. Sitting across from Grant Shapp's And this is what I've spent most of the last 10 years trying to impress upon people who are new or new-ish to radio like this. Impress upon them the folly of the electoral system, the folly of the notion of democracy, the, the, the insanity in believing that you live in a democratic country and that you get to determine through exercising your franchise by voting at the ballot box, you get to determine how things go in the future. It is bollocks. You know why? As he's listing out the billions and billions and billions he's sending to Ukraine, sitting opposite him were the Labour Party front bench, the shadow front bench. Do you think any of them stood up and said, um, Is anybody going to sit down with Vladimir Putin at all anytime soon? Is anybody going to travel to Moscow to sit down with the Russian president? To see if we can put an end to this once and for all. Is anybody going to do that? Is anybody going to tell Zelensky that this has to end? And that there has to be some treaty, some accord? And the answer, of course, dear, dear listener, is no, nobody in the shadow opposition ranks would dare stand up and say, what's all this about? Why don't we try and bring this to an end? Not at all. And in the lesser opposition parties, the Lib Dems, the Greens, the Independents, anybody, anybody at all, stand up and say, why aren't we trying to bring this to a conclusion? No. Just keep giving Ukraine whatever it needs. Keep this crazy war going on forever and ever and ever and ever. Because ultimately, ultimately as you believe, I think you believe, as you know, the war is a front. The war itself is a front to hide, to cover another agenda. You only have to look at the the consequences of the war for everybody. The impoverishment of people, the cost of living, everything, right? Oil prices going up. Who does it suit? Who does it benefit? It's four minutes to the top of the hour. I'm going to take another tune. When I come back, I'll read some more of your messages. And then it's uh, Mark Windows. I'm looking forward to that. It's Mark Windows on The Richie Allen Show. In the meantime, this is music from Fleetwood Mac. Song called "Everywhere" from nineteen eighty eight. I am Richie Allen. It is uh Thursday's edition of the Richie Allen Show, the twenty second of February, twenty twenty four. Lots to come on the program between now and six six minutes past the air. Welcome back to the Richie Allen Show, Thursday's program. We might have had a gremlin or two, a gremlin or three, even in the uh, in in the pipeline there, but it looks like finally. Thanks, B. To jeepers, uh, the great Mark Windows, our friend, broadcaster, musician, writer, uh, the man behind public speaker, uh, the man behind Windows on the World dot net. It is a pleasure to welcome back to the program, our friend Mark Windows. We got there in the end, Mark. Thanks for your patience, pal. How are you?
5: I'm very well, Richie. Thanks good to have you. I
0: know oh, any time, pal. Come on, any time you want. You're back in Blighty. Is that a good thing or a bad thing?
5: The weather's been absolutely terrible since <laughs> I arrived, which is about ten days ago.
0: It's been absolutely, it's been minging, it's been muck, hasn't it? It's been terrible. And if you have dogs like I do, uh, you just get soaked into the skin because you can't tell them. So you can't mark. You can't say sorry, lads, or sorry, ladies. and We're not going out today. Listen, pleasure. So much to talk about. We fell in. We're, we're going to talk about citizens assemblies. I think the very first time I ever heard the concept was through yourself about three. Four years ago, maybe, you told me about citizen assemblies and why we should be concerned about them. And this week, they're back in the news. But I wanted to ask you a question out of left field. You did an enormous amount of work on the 7th of July false flag terror nonsense. I remember you did with um, Nick from the lovely Nick. He wrote a book about it and you gave talks on it. And we were musing, my, my listener and I, before you came on, why do you think, on the night in question, peter power the training drill guy why do you think he was able to go on itn news and say would you believe it we were running a drill imagining the exact same attack in the same situations in the same locations the exact same scenario to to an incredulous itn news presenter and my listeners have been mulling this over mark do they like to rub it in our faces or was Peter Power not really in on it himself? And did he think he was taking part in a drill? Because I'll never forget the first time I saw that clip of him on ITN. I couldn't believe it. So sorry to throw this actually out of left field. We didn't say we talk about this, but it's an interesting one. He basically gave the game away on the night in question. What is your thoughts as to why he did?
5: I think there might have been an element of damage limitation going on. In other words, the bridge between the security services and those who are kind of in league with them or in partnership with them. Obviously, something happened. And he came out to say that. And yeah, it was very strange, because I remember him saying the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, when I saw it, I mean, I saw the clip about a year or so later. And I'd already begun to start to understand the things were not as I believed them to be, that the world was a different place than I imagined, and I was then um, I, I just I had just recently moved to Spain when I saw that clip, and it absolutely changed my perspective. Nobody could convince me that this was the mother of all coincidences, but anyway yeah it's um, it 's coming up today because the the conservative media, if you want to call them that they 're trying to blame the nonsense that went on in Westminster yesterday on the fear of radical terrorists, radical Islamist terrorists, rather than the the reality that Keir Starmer and his idiot mates are terrified of um, offending Israel. Anyway, um, climate change and the climate agenda obviously continues to be a huge deal, and this week I was listening with great interest to a number of commentators, awful people like Peter Mandelson and and others, talking about how citizens' assemblies could become, and, and how they will become very useful in, you know, basically delivering agendas and dealing with climate change and other crises that will will come up in the years to come. Massively important, this. Um, You're the die-in, really, on this because you were talking about it years ago. Do you want to explain to people what the concept of a citizens' assembly is? What is it meant to be and
5: do? It masquerades as public engagement, but it is, of course, nothing of the sort because the public are merely steered into the already defined outcome. So in other words, they will be put on a panel and steered into where they're meant to be going. For instance, the citizens assemblies on climate change, you could not question anthropogenic global warming. And then you went into a series of lectures telling you about the climate crisis, the climate emergency. And the only thing that you were allowed to talk about was guess what? Mitigation. What are we going to do about it, you see? So the driver of change is not that important. It's the outcome that's important. So if people focus on this as something to do with the climate, then they're missing the boat completely. A document came out, which I was actually looking at uh, recently, and it's it was from NM Rothschild in London from 2008. And it says how the new carbon trading system is going to be imposed with a definite loss of national sovereignty. And of course, the whole agenda has been steaming ahead ever since the Climate Change Act in the UK, and it is a City of London project. So the whole thing about the citizens' assemblies was that I first saw these in a protest movement. I saw them take over Occupy St. Paul's, and we made several films on that. One was called the Puppet Masters of Occupy, a secondary one was called Inside Occupy and in the Bank of Ideas, a fake squat set up in the city of London. Who's, who squats a Swiss bank in the city of London? Nobody, unless they are asked to. And we found out this whole thing was manufactured. But what was interesting was that facilitators and co-facilitators appeared. One was actually an undercover policeman. That's how audacious these people wow. are, dressed in his army coat and his unlaced Dr Martins, steering people into this consensus, which was just imposed on the people who remained at the Occupy St Paul's camp. So then we take it into another level, take it from a government point of view where they need consensus and that's the word consensus. It's all about getting the public to consent. So I'll just give you some of the things that the public consented to in 2020. Uh, These are three questions that were brought up which the public agreed to. Currently, national policy does not require that new homes are built to net zero standards. Should the government introduce this standard? Yes, no or don't know. The government has already legislated to end the sale of all petrol and diesel cars and vans by 2040. Should the ban on new petrol and diesel vehicles be brought forward to 2030? Yes, no, don't know. If you are a homeowner, would you be prepared to retrofit your home and bear the costs? average of £25,000 per house. So from Birmingham, then we went to Oxford. That was the second Citizens Assembly on climate change. And I covered that. There was a climate modeler there called Miles Allen, who was rebuked in 2018 for misleading a court in the United States. This was when people were trying to bring cases against oil companies. And that actually failed and this is an ongoing thing. We have people like Client Earth bringing these things all the time. So basically what we're looking at here is we've got the drivers of change. The driver of change is, the, is now the climate emergency, of course, and the climate crisis. And all is we're seeing is the intended outcome being put onto the public and the public are being seen to have agreed to it because it's all about manufacturing consent and nothing else. And can you explain to me
0: how, because I've read... I've read one or two alternative blogs written by people who at least are somewhat in the know and I'm I'm told or I've read that they're selling the idea of citizens assemblies particularly to younger men and women by telling them that it's a more democratic way of doing things. And when you have governments and oppositions who are obfuscating or not moving quickly enough, citizens assemblies are a more democratic way of doing it. Is that right? Is that how they're selling it to younger people?
5: Yes, exactly. And Demos, the public policy think tank, who kind of bring in a lot of these agendas, which are going to be put forward to the public in 2010, said the new democracy, the new democracy will work with a combination of government, open infiltration and citizens groups taking direct action. Hence, we get direct action. Hence, we get people gluing themselves to buildings and even to the roads. These are all state backed operations. And another thing, Richie, guess who was the chosen corporation or corporate entity to roll out the citizens assemblies? I bet you'll never guess.
0: I probably won't. You know me, you're the researcher. Is it a, are we talking about a, a major global multi multinational?
5: I think we're talking about that. We're talking about George Soros, dot Soros. org. Nice. Look it up. You'll see a photograph of people on tables, tables of 10. They all have a facilitator on each table. All of these people are trained. They basically take down a series of statements from people. Then they whittle it all down, put it in a box. And guess what? At the end, what they actually wanted comes out of the box and everyone's agreed. So the citizens assemblies are useful as Mandelson says because the city of London project needs everyone to agree and what better way for them to agree than being steered into the already decided and intended outcome.
0: Do you do you get any you know you've travelled all over this country and you've spent a lot of time in London do you, do you get any optimism out of the the blade runners and the the other opposition there seems to be against what Khan is doing in London. It seems to be genuine, you know, covering the cameras and, you know, making a nuisance of themselves. Is that a good sign? Is it something to grab
5: onto? Whenever we see publicised acts of dissent, which may be illegal or may not be illegal, we are seeing what we are meant to be seeing. Right. The whole point is that I think this is a kind of way of getting the public to think we don't have to do anything, there's people doing it for us, which is what always happens. The best way to deal with this, of course, is mass non-compliance. If nobody pays, they can't enforce it. But people hide behind these truth warriors, these people who've been yeah. put up there. And the, some of the footage I've seen looks patently ridiculous to me. But then again, I'm cynical.
0: Yeah, no, but you have a right to be cynical. I know you've been around some of these movements over the years and you've seen the infiltration and you've seen that in in, in many cases you've demonstrated that they're not necessarily genuine grassroots and organic, that there's something else in time. I
5: think this is a point, Richie, a very good point you've just brought up, because the word grassroots has been hijacked. Yeah. The word grassroots is them. These are the lobbying NGOs. And charities and organisations under sustainable development, they all call themselves grassroots. Of course they're nothing of the sort. They're completely manufactured.
0: The my you, you know my better half is French and she pays a lot of attention to what goes on in her own country. I'm I have to say, and look, I'm like yourself, I'm a bit cynical. You've you've been around the block just a couple of more times, not in terms of your age, but in terms of you know, talking about this stuff and reading about it and writing about it. So you've been around a little bit longer, and you've I think you've a deeper insight into a lot of this stuff than I do. Um, I like listening to people like you. That's what I do, um, and I'm not buttering you up. That's a fact. So call me naive if you want, but I, I see what some of the farmers in the Netherlands and Germany and, and Spain are doing. I'd like to see a bit of that here. You know, bring a city to a standstill. You know, to to bring about some sort of a change in policy now i know because i did hear you i'm not deaf i know that those movements are open to infiltration as well but um macron looked genuinely put out by this stuff you know as it was going i on. think
5: there's a difference richie the way they do it in france is they do have this spirit of resistance and they are rightfully furious and in a way they show it much more than people do in the uk I think people have become rather complacent and too complacent over the years. I do like that spirit and I do think it works. Of of course, mass non-compliance is always going to worry the state.
0: There's been a couple of rumblings here from farmers and farmers unions is it something that might might happen here? Because effectively, this government is pursuing the same policies as Brussels. I mean, it, it's just my opinion. You can shoot it down if you want. But the idea that the UK left the EU in any meaningful way is nonsense. It hasn't really. And what the government is doing here is pretty much what Brussels is doing across Europe. It's screwing farmers. It's messing with the food supply. You know, telling them that you've got to accept rewilding and, you know, lower your herd size. But there's been a few rumblings. I, I'd like to think the farmers here might take Take some inspiration from Europe, Mark.
5: I hope they do. I know that they're demoralised and I know that they think that their future is diminishing. But there is time to turn this round. There definitely is. I was talking to people within the Farmers Union years ago. Uh, very good friend of mine who died several years ago, Edmund Marriage was very involved with the Farmers Union. He was giving me inside information. He wasn't fully aware of all the implementation agendas of Agenda 2030, but he was up to speed with what they were doing. And he used to exchange a lot of information with me. And of course, everything is gatekept. People have to realize this, that these organizations, especially the unions, have been completely taken over. So people do have to actually form their own groups and get indignant about it. Because that is the only way, I think, to, to actually unite people for a start and also to make it clear that they won't take it.
0: You see, folks, you complain about the Richie Allen show that there are not enough solutions on the programme. You always get solutions from Mark Windows, windowsontheworld.net. Hey, before we go on, our listeners um, obviously know and love your show. have been listening to you for years. And we, for many years, we've listened to it through Spreaker, Um, What happened? Did they kick you?
5: No, what it was all about in the end was something to do with music. Now, the only music I play on there is my own. It's usually stuff from the film, The Heretics of London, The Smithfield Martyrs, or jingles that I've made up. So It was a bit disingenuous the way they treated me though, because they didn't tell me about all this. I had to get in touch with them and they gave me a very ambiguous answer, which indicated to me that they were in the process of considering whether they should pull me off the channel. And several hours later, I got an email which said that it was mainly a concern over copyright. But the thing is with the online harms bill, any lobbying organization, and you know about this because you've been hit by them, can turn round and make a complaint and you will be pulled until they can investigate it and it will usually be upheld. So we are up against it. And thank you for giving me the information of the other host that you did. Uh, That's a much better option, I think. But yeah, I think we're facing that. We talked about this, I think, last year. You know, we were asking whether we would actually still be here in 18 months.
0: Yeah, I'm convinced that there will be an announcement at some stage in, Listeners will roll their eyes now because I don't have any soothsaying ability. I, I, I've no accuracy when it comes to predictions, but I have been saying for some years that eventually Ofcom will say, look, we we we, we now have taken domain over online radio. I think they will do it and they'll basically give all of us an, an ultimatum. They will say, you've got to have a license. And amazingly enough, they will they will quite happily give us the licence. That's 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 the trap, isn't it? They'll say, Okay, here you go, Mr Windows, we don't want any money from you, but now you've got a licence. Of course the problem is then, once you accept their domain over you or their dominion, they can then find fault with your content, so they can say, "Ah, Mark Windows, you said that, you spoke to some woman and she said the jabs were dangerous, and um, that's not good enough, Mark." So um, it's always on the about of
5: a perceived benefit to the public. Yes, that's the way they do it. That's so the way they do the real it. Real stated goals. They want to get rid of you, so they say they want to protect the audience. Same with everything that is being done. And yes, just one addition to that, Ritchie. Apparently, Spreaker are stopping live broadcasts from the thirty-first of December this year, so I'll no longer be able to broadcast live on my Sunday shows so everything's gonna have to be recorded so that's a sign of things to come.
0: Well it won't necessarily because the company that streams me are based in the UK, they're based in Hull, they're great people. And I'm guessing their rates will be competitive. So hold that thought, my friend. Um, we don't we, we don't want to be hearing that. You're not broadcasting live on Sunday. It's um, always a great start to the week. Windows on the Net. You're listening to Mark Windows. Look, I know we said we talk about citizens' assemblies, but l- listeners love having you on. So they've asked me to put a series of fairly general questions to you. Um, one of them is, is there any world leader, in your opinion, who's operating outside the system and is trying to um, fight against it or stand up to it. You see, I, I've said on this programme before, and I always caveat this by saying it's my opinion, I don't know anything, I could be wrong, but that Vladimir Putin is as controlled one way or another as any of the other major, but seemingly major political leaders in the world. What say you on that subject?
5: I rather like what Viktor Orban's doing in Hungary. He intends to kick out the NGOs. And of course, the NGOs are the infiltration process. The NGOs are the world government system. He knows this. He's made it public. And of course, he's demonized and the EU are rounding against him. That to me, though, is a sign to the public that there are people who are aware, fully aware of how this system works. And to me, that was a very positive sign. Whether people take from it what's it really means is another question of course
0: no good good answer and um, so so you would expect then brussels to to do everything it it can to, to to pressurize um hungary and there are many ways it can do that you know in terms of money loans um trading so you'd expect them to go after this guy i mean i would have believed that and i still believe that hugo chavez was an original and was a complete opponent to what, what, we, what we know today is the Great Reset. I believe Maduro, who came after him, isn't as charismatic, but I believe he's, he's another one. The, the Bolivian president some years ago, again, I think, would have been completely against it. But they sanctioned them, and they just make life pretty much impossible for them, don't they? Is that what you'd expect to see with Orbán?
5: Yes, they are already imposing financial pen- penalties on Hungary through the EU. They're basically threatening And he's kind of capitulated on certain points. But I just thought it was very good that a leader is actually telling the people out there the way it is, which is what I've been trying to do for years. I mean, the NGOs are the infiltration program global to local. That is the recruiting mechanism and the way it goes into your local community. And of course, this is what he's worried about. He's worried about the color revolution, the Gene Sharp type color revolution revolution you know, they use the Gene Sharp method already. And of course, once these people are embedded in the country, then they can manufacture dissent, they can even cause friction locally. I've seen it, Richie, in Central Eastern Europe, the change agents are there. It's not quite as advanced as in the UK. The UK is the world leader in this, of course. But what I've seen is the infiltration, which seems to most people not to be there. They don't see it because they're thinking in terms of a party political system. And, of course, this is beyond all that.
0: What? Give us the, 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 the dummy's guide to the Gene Sharp method. How, how does that work?
5: Well, basically, it's people like Soros coming in and they're funding NGOs who are hiding behind lobbying organisations this is really what it's all about. So it doesn't matter whether they're lobbying for climate change or any, anything else, or social change, which is what they do, social change theory. Um, they, will, they will cause friction, divide and rule. They will then attack opponents and people within local government, especially. This is how they take over. But of course, they do it on a national level. We only have to go back to the Russian Revolution to see the template, the French Revolution, same template. It's all the same stuff. It's just got a bit slicker and a lot more corporate, but it's exactly the same method, this way of trying to instill a revolution. And Orban could actually see this coming. He mentioned it. He said, this is about the takeover of democracy, True democracy, not the democracy, of course, that the globalists talk of.
0: Yeah, they give, they they instil in the native population this idea that they they need revolution and that it is for their own benefit and their own good.
5: Yes, the word revolution, Richard, is their word. Yeah, that's right. Revolution is their word. Whenever you see revolution, it's them. Whenever you see community, it's them. Whenever you see grassroots, yeah. it's them.
0: It's the same people. Michael is listening to this in Fallowfield and he says, Richie, the fight in the French and the spirit to fight it comes from the Second World War and the resistance to the Nazi occupation. I think he's got a very good point there. And, you, and Mike has a good point and you have a good point. It is heartening to see that, whether it's the gilets jaunes. And even if that was infiltrated somehow, you know, the base instinct to to, to stand up to it and to come out against it is 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 genuine and and to michael's point in fallowfield um this government wants to give it give itself the power to ban protests any particular protest any specific protest and they're telling lots of them um, pork pies little lies about the palestinian the the anti-genocide protests that we're seeing around the country claiming that these are basically <laughs> jihadi protests and all this nonsense you've seen this so many times haven't you over the years um, but it's a serious one. If they do, I mean, they will do. There's no two ways about it. They will um, change the law to give the Home Secretary the right to basically to, 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 to knock or to strike down any protest. There's not much coming back from that, really, Mark. That can't be allowed.
5: No, absolutely not. I mean, the thing is that I think that Bringing the French model in is very good because there's always been a spirit of rebellion there. The thing is, you see, that all of this is looked at as a global system. So if people are different in one country to another country, there will be a slight change in the system to account for that. And that's what you've always got to be aware of, that the next hero on the block is meant to be there. It's up to people to actually take responsibility for their own lives and also especially Locally, as we've always been saying, yeah. because it's global to local, but it all happens locally. Those people in your local town hall are implementing every globalist policy. So, no point talking about those people in Switzerland. There's no point talking about the World Economic Forum when you know what they're about. You go local, which is where it's at. And we've done a show called The Solution. You can find that at world.net We're telling you how to do it locally. So, this huge amount of distraction put into this all the time, pretty much everything that is put out there is a distraction. So people need to look at themselves and and take responsibility for their own actions because the whole system of communitarianism is about consensus. If you appear to have agreed, then you have agreed. If you say nothing, you have agreed. If you do not oppose something and if you don't n- know how to oppose it, you've agreed. And this apathy is being sown and I've seen yeah. it very prevalent in the UK it is. because obviously it comes through psychological warfare tactics through the media. That's all the media is doing. It doesn't matter who you're listening to. It's a distraction. None of them are talking about the issues which are of utmost importance
0: in their own towns. You're right, you're 100%. Nothing more important will be said on any show today than that which you just said there. You can talk about what's going on in London. Well, it's going on in Salford. Um, So, yeah, by all means, observe it in London, but it's happening in Salford. I mean, I'm out and about all the time. I speak to many people. Nobody has said to me, Mark, nobody has said to me, Richie, I'm a bit concerned about all of these signs that keep appearing everywhere talking about how this area is under consideration. For a low-traffic neighbourhood, it doesn't occur to them, you know. But but many of these same people might be bitching about Sadiq Khan in London. You've made an excellent point. Yes, there. they it's they happening here.
5: Hang on to the bigger issues, Richie. They What they think are bigger issues, but these these bigger issues are not important. Sadiq Khan is a puppet. When his time comes, he will probably be discredited and thrown aside, because these people don't take prisoners. Now the point is that everything that Sadiq Khan is implementing is on your doorstep. And that is the only place you can change it. And I know I've been saying this for years, but but it doesn't sink in. It never sinks in. There's people who are doing this and councils are getting very worried because they do not like being publicly exposed. They're not used to it. And I'm not talking about going there and disrupting meetings. I'm talking about engaging politically becoming counsellors, and actually a long-term strategy is what is needed because these people are really on a five-year plan. And we're about three years into that because they are quickening the pace rapidly. This is a lockdown. Low-traffic neighbourhoods are a lockdown, nothing else.
0: And, you know, I I, I used to be very sceptical about this idea of yours about, you know, getting involved locally. But I've always been open-minded, so I've paid quite a bit of, quite a lot of attention to your own show, Windows on the World. Um, of course, on Sundays, net for more information. Uh, dear listener, you're listening to Mark Windows. But I've never been stubborn, so I, I looked again at that, and I saw that you're right, 100% right, and you've been proven right. We've seen examples where it has worked. We've seen examples. I've, I've had people on this programme. Your, your ears will have been burning because your name has been dropped. People who've managed to prevent a 5G installation going up. They prevented it because they didn't sit on their arses complaining about it. They got involved locally, so it does work, yeah. I, mean, I think yeah. that
5: that's the main thing that they're really scared of, Richie. So all of these distractions are manufactured to take people away from the issues of importance. And they always get carried away. Let's look at people who thought of themselves as truthers or part of the alternative. Look at what they've become. They have become enmeshed into a self-glorifying group who send people down every dead end, which has been a dead end for many years. And it's like going backwards. And the whole point I'm trying to do is think of going forward. And Mm. that's where you get resistance, because people don't want to hear that this idea of being a freedom fighter is actually down to them yeah to yourself. it's not down to watching people allegedly vandalizing cameras or whatever they're doing it's about your particular response to what's going on and that brings up again what they're doing in france and the netherlands all those farmers blocking the roads they are furious you have to get to a level that they're at you have to get your they, hands dirty don't you mark oh, yes absolutely and also the seriousness of the situation i think The main frustration, if there are any frustrations in this for me anymore, are the the ways that the public has so easily taken off the scent and also the way that they are lured into collective apathy.
0: I'm a bit proud, I have to say, of a lot of what's happening in my country at the moment. Now, Now, some of it, when I say some of it, yes, the inevitable... Attention-seeking. I want to be famous. Those people do pop up, and what you described is—it is the truth or industrial complex. It's a means to an end. It's a cash cow for for, for many people. Where it's a career. It's a career, and the truther becomes a destination. That's all the truth becomes—a destination for an echo chamber, and and it's terrible. And it's something I've been banging on about for a long, long, long time. But what what I see what I see in Ireland. It's amazing and I've I've spoken to so many of these people on my programme. It's not people who are looking for any notoriety or creating their own podcast or any of that. No. It's it's men and women, middle middle aged often. Men and women who've just had enough, Mark. You know. They've had enough yeah. and they've decided I'm gonna do something about it. I'm gonna get involved. And and it it, it it works. You know, I'm seeing it over there, you know, people who are breaking free of the shackles of, well, I, I yesterday I was terrified about being called a racist. Well, I'm not going to be scared of that anymore because the, the the alternative is unthinkable to allow happen to my country, what is happening to my country, so I'm going to speak out. So there are little pockets of resistance, mate. And I think, you know, in no small, um, in no small, um, what's the word I'm looking for here now? Credit to yourself. No small, because you've been a pretty lone voice for years saying to people, you know, on your own show and on shows like this, there aren't too many people who will bring you on now Sadly, because they don't like what you have to say um, and and often about them. But um, you don't need it anyway because you've got your own audience. You've built up your own audience over the years. Well, I think
5: I did that for a reason, Richie. I don't just do things sort of off the cuff or reactionary. I never do anything reactionary. What I do is think about it. And sometimes it's not what people want to hear, but it's what they need to hear. Okay, in five years time, they're going to turn around and go, yeah, you were right. Well, actually, maybe they're not because they don't like it when you're right and they were wrong. And this, of course, is a big problem. But the thing is that everything that I've put out over the years, that's the main issue we're talking about here, is solutions orientated? I've never put anything out that isn't solutions orientated. We have covered a lot of the Agenda 2030 policies, globalism, communitarianism, because that's the system we're in. If you're not talking about the communitarian global system, you're not talking about. Well, you the have system. to explain it, Mark.
0: You're right. Mm. It must be explained to people. I mean, if it yes. isn't explained to people, they're not going to understand there's a problem. And if they don't understand there's a problem, then they won't take action locally. They won't get onto their local council. Exactly. And my my approach to this for years has been to take what the mainstream media is broadcasting and to take it apart, which is what I do in, in, in my in my monologues. And then I, I speak to people like yourself when I can. I don't speak to too many people like you. But that's right. It needs to be deconstructed for people, for them to first of all realise. And it sounds, not you now, but I often feel, I sound very patronising when I say that, because most of the time I'm speaking to people who are more intelligent than I am, or, or at least as intelligent, but they just haven't seen what's going on and how it's happening, not in Washington, not in Moscow or London, it's actually happening in Cleethorpes, you know, it's happening where you are. Uh, as you, you open my, my eyes to this, it's global to local but it's happening, it's being implemented in your village, not in your city, in your bloody village these change agents are there we're seeing it here in Salford, it's an amazing thing to witness really, you know to see them with their clean air zones and all of this, and it's just happening. You know, this, what what did you say earlier? This implied consensus. By the way, Elizabeth has been in touch. She loves Mark, she's Dutch, and she says Dutch farmers great, but at the moment, they're not engaged in any activity. Right now, today, I follow the Dutch news daily, she says. Uh, Thanks for that, Elizabeth. Here's one from Yes, we just
5: get very little clips of this. I mean, really, I'm talking about what I see on Google, you know, I mean, then I'll look into it a bit more, but news feeds are very restricted, and These things just crop up and of course they always look bigger than they really are, but at least they're encouraging, I suppose.
0: No doubt, and they might be inspiring people in other parts of the world. Like I said, I'm I'm waiting for English farmers to say, look, enough of this shit now, enough of it, you know. Um, Seamus says, "Um, Richie, the, the Blade Runners for me are, maybe, this is good, Mark, maybe the Blade Runners are simply dismantling the old infrastructure. Personally, I've never seen the Blade Runners take down these newer model cameras. That's interesting.
5: Well, I think it's really down to people just not paying. I mean, you don't have to engage in this stuff because what they want you to do is be seen as vigilantes engaging in criminal damage and against the public interest and being selfish and far right and full of hate. Well, those are the narratives they use. So you have to work around that.
0: Now, um, I've said that, my love, your ideas, I have, so we've got to put a bit of balance. William says, listen, William says that we don't have to put balance, but we like to reflect everybody's. We we don't ignore texts. William says, right, the average person becoming involved in local politics and becoming a councillor is a ridiculous notion, says William.
5: That's that's a ridiculous thing to say then. And and that's exactly what we're up against. Let it's me not finish. a ridiculous notion. No, I it's don't quite think... easy to do. And we've told you how to do it on the shows. So saying that is a ridiculous and defeatist thing to say. No, I hadn't finished. I hadn't finished, right. right. And,
0: and I agree with you. He says they will go into all of your background, dig out all the dirt they can find on you. How does a he know this? Has
5: he ever been um, a, an elected councillor or a politician? Yeah, you,
0: he, he, It's a fair question. You can come back to us, William, if you want. But um, maybe if you didn't have a lot of dirt... For them to dig out on you, maybe. (laughs) You know, I I don't know if William is saying that.
5: They will always do that, Richard. They will anyway. The point is that it's about public engagement. It's about what the public think of you. Of course they're going to demean you. It's been happening to me since day one, ever since I started researching. It's been going on for 15, 20 years. It's not important. We have an opportunity to deal with our own destiny. And if people aren't willing to do that, then their destiny is already decided for them. Quite simple.
0: Simple as that. One of the things we would have chatted about over the years that we've known each other is uh, is this concept that when the entire establishment convenes and comes down against something, you and I would have said over the years, it's probably something that we probably need. Now, the entire establishment, political and I would say educational and medical has come down and said that we need to get phones out of the hands of children, particularly when they're in school. And every man, woman, and politician, and 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 uh, educational consultant and expert is saying this. But I interviewed a lovely lady called Katie the other night, and says that if her children didn't have mobile phones, in school, their own phones, they would have been forced vaccinated. And she was able to prove this to me. Lovely lady. Um, so is there something well, there's to there's nothing that?
5: wrong with turning them off during the lessons, though, is
0: there? No, 100%. But schools want to get rid of them completely, don't they? They want them either to leave them at home or to be confiscated at the beginning of the day and then return to the kids at
5: the end of I the day. I think they want people distracted and disempowered, but not too distracted and disempowered.
0: Right. Fair enough. Yeah, because she made the point that if a child is exposed to something harmful in school, and isn't comfortable. You know, one of these silly lessons about gender identity and stuff is that, you know, it's nice if the child can secretly or discreetly phone mom and say, look.
5: Well, that's what the phone's for. That's the absolute use of the phone. Uh, But the other use, of course, is as a propaganda tool to get into their minds. And this is is another point. But the, the administrative system of sustainable development and globalization relies on a certain amount of learning, a very small amount of learning. So what they're probably finding is that children are unable to concentrate at all. And of course, they'll need to learn propaganda to repeat it, which of course, is the aim of education. Yeah. So that the principles of secondary education, according to the Rockefellers in the early 1900s, was to prevent and direct change within an individual. So you can't direct an individual if they're distracted all the time. I think we have to look at this on a bigger scale. And also, there's been some great reports recently that have found that book learning and reading from books is far more effective than reading from screens. So they're probably finding that they need to compromise a bit with all the distraction that they are imposing, so that they can at least get the next generation of useful idiots to focus enough on the propaganda. That's just something I thought I'd throw in. Very,
0: very interesting. You think it's got anything to do with libraries closing up and down the country?
5: Of course. I mean, the whole point of what we're seeing is the wilderness of the mind. It was even stated, that's what it's called, the wilderness of the mind or the lostness of the mind. It's this global collective consciousness where people are empty of pretty much everything and compliant to almost everything. And this is all about destroying history, destroying culture to bring in the Gaia cult and the idea that there's too many people, that we need to depopulate ourselves so they don't have to do it for us.
0: Don't have any children. Yeah. The the amount of, um, now I I, I know you've got to take with a large dose of salt anything you read in the press, broadsheet or tabloid. Of course you do. And it, even even more so when they tell you that YouGov did a poll. You and I know it's very easy to, to fake, you know, opinion polls and stuff. But I have seen a lot of these polls where youngsters, and I've seen them on TV, I've seen them on, on, on various programmes, and they seem to be genuine. It's very tragic. They talk about not having any plans to have children because, you know, it's not going to be good for the planet. And even... You know, we were talking about having a dog. I came across this recently. I meant to grab the clip and I never grabbed it. I wanted to play it on this programme. But there was um, some young kids talking about having pets. And and then they said, but we've decided not to. Because, again, you know, it would be adding to basically the carbon footprint. And I thought to myself, Jesus Christ, you know. The best, the best of childhood, Mark, is having a pet, right? Running around yes, after but a dog.
5: it's it's about alienating them as well. This has yeah. always been the plan to alienate the individual so that they can be programmed with just enough information to function within a system. It's always been like that, but now we're seeing something that is the biggest lie in human history, and it's being implemented in every so-called learning establishment on the planet.
0: Can I ask you in the couple of minutes that we have left? You you always strike me as a glass half full guy. This is great now because I have this horrible feeling, I do believe that goodness will triumph in the end it sounds very cliched that, but I, I really do believe that, but but when when humanity will break free from this madness, I don't know I do think there might be a bit of pain in the next few years maybe the next couple of decades, but maybe I'm wrong you always sound to me, and it's one of the reasons I think, for, first of all it's why I like having you on, but it, well, it's one of the many reasons I like having you on, I think it's why our listeners like you, more than anything is that you're energetic and effervescent and optimistic. Um, for you, the glass is half full. So, so am I wrong to imagine a period where it's going to be difficult for us and maybe we have to try and coexist with some of this dystopian nonsense? Or is there something better coming quicker than maybe I think?
5: We're already coexisting with the dystopian nonsense. Of course, it's a psychological assault every day. But their system is destined to fail because it is not based on universal truth and natural law. It's based on lies and greed and it's motivated by control and that is not ultimately going to work because they are not going to be able to control as much as they want to. The whole idea of everything that's happening is about an overt control system and that control system and their insistence on AI and their insistence on technology will be their downfall.
0: Tell me this um, final one before we go. Um, it's it's It weighs heavy, a lot of this stuff. Um, you've always struck me as somebody that's been able to get a decent balance in, in your life, in your private life. I know you've had some great adventures in recent years. I, I know you've had an, an extraordinary life. Do you still manage to do that do you have that bit of balance where you can put it to one side take a deep breath enjoy the sounds of the birds the smell of the fresh air the sound of the sea do you you still make time for you know for for not kind of gazing at this system and at the solutions
5: oh absolutely that's the main point why i like to travel because i love going to wilderness And I did a show actually recently all about that called The Perfected Mind or The Perfected Mind Field. I've already read the article at winnersontheworld.net. Very interesting the way people are drawn into social groups and biofields of energy. And the real force that's out there that people define as God is there for everybody. And that's what they want to take you away from. And once you are separated from that, you are disempowered. So that, to me, is the most important thing, which is one of the reasons I like to go to these wilderness areas because what, to me, is most important is that connection. And that's what gives me the inspiration to do the shows. So without that, I couldn't do the shows. I couldn't be optimistic. And I would probably just be, you know, maybe repeating stuff that other people are saying. But because I take a, a broader view of it, and I'm trying to get into a, a much bigger picture beyond the global to local thing, what this is really about philosophically. And I've noticed in a lot of countries that people don't let this get in the way of what they want to do. And that's the key. That's the key
0: to it. Windows on the world, 9pm Sunday evenings. 8pm. Win- oh, excuse you- me, Mark. 8pm. <laughs> Jesus. What
5: well. earlier people asked me to do it. Bit yeah, 8pm it is.
0: Windows <laughs> on the net and um Spreaker. Just a couple of
5: shows, Richie. Could I just could I just mention these about the citizens assemblies? Deal, pal, go right ahead, yeah. Yeah. There's one if you go into WindowsOntheworld.net and put in citizens assemblies equals end of choice, there's a couple of shows there also. Citizens Assemblies, the Corporate Revolution. And UK shamed into stupidity, which was as a result of the Oxford Assembly on climate change. You will learn everything you need to know in that article and in those shows. So that should help you understand what this whole scam is about, because that's all it is, a scam.
0: And brilliant. And if there, if there were ever any future issues with streaming, we, we could always route your show through here. I could leave a few faders up and connect to you via via WhatsApp or Skype or something, so you could always stream me. That's great, Richie. Me.
5: Thanks very much. We need to stick together in these 100%, <laughs> pal. Yeah, I mean, I,
0: we, I pay for 24-7 streaming and I'm only on... Well, I'm on five days a week with a music show and what have you. So the rest of the time, it isn't doing anything. People have asked me before, will you stream me, but they're not, they're not you, they're not journalists, you know, and I couldn't, I just couldn't do it because I'd be terrified of what they might say and I might get into trouble. With, that wouldn't be the case with you, of course. So yeah, look, those options are always open if if it ever um, became a bit doubtful for you, my friend. But as, as you said, it's something we have to think about in the next 12 to 18 months when when Ofcom undoubtedly decides that it's time to try and uh, get a hold of guys like us. But in the meantime we'll we'll deal with that when we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. Good to have you back in the UK. Safe travels, Windows on the World dot net, eight PM Sunday evenings. You're welcome back any time, It's a pleasure to have you on.
5: Thanks very much, Richie. I enjoyed
0: that. Mind yourself, Mark. Me too. Bye for now. Uh, the great Mark Windows, old and valued friend, live on Thursday's Richie Allen Show. I said again, net Links, of course, on the podcast notes later on, but you don't need them because you know who Mark Windows is. Thanks to Mark. Right. That's nearly it for me. Let me have a look. A number of you sent me messages saying, um, I sound a bit down. I'm not. I'm not down at all. I'm, I'm, I'm generally, as I said before, very even-tempered. What it is this week, I wasn't going to say anything. Not because it isn't any of your business but I just don't talk about these things yesterday I cancelled yesterday's programme something I never do I just don't do because I couldn't physically put one foot in front of the other I was knackered Um, long term listeners will know that I've dealt with insomnia for a long, 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 long time. I've come at it every way you can imagine. It's just something that's ingrained in me. It doesn't get me down. I don't get depressed. I don't get fed up. But there are times every now and then when it gets really bad. You know, where three, four hours sleep becomes zero hour sleep. So I've had about 72 hours, really, of next to no sleep. And so yesterday afternoon, I actually couldn't think. I was in, I was frozen. You can imagine, like, some of these people who take spice. You know, they take spice this mad drug, and you see them sometimes in town centres, frozen to the spot. Yesterday, mid-afternoon, I just couldn't move. I couldn't think, let alone open a fader. So I did the right thing for me. I said, right, I'm just going to not do it today, which is not something I do, as you well know. Um, I, th- th- there are about 220, 230 live shows a year, and that's not, th- th- that is not counting uh, the Sunday Morning Melodies and, of course, the Papers podcast. I'm providing more than bang for buck now. So those of you who don't support it financially, you might start thinking about doing it, uh, because it does need it. Uh, The details can be found at RichieAllen.co.uk, where it says support your show. But those are phases. I'll be grand by tomorrow, by by the weekend. Speaking of uh, Sunday Morning Melodies, I look forward to it every week. It's live, 10 o'clock UK time, Sunday mornings, two hours music, bit of chat. It's a bit of, it's an oasis. I, I think I've said that before. It is a said this before it's an oasis is what it is for me anyway uh, the chill of it and the the relaxation of it so that's Sunday at 10 on the usual channels and platforms drop me a message during the programme by the by, the app or by the website, the papers podcast will be online tomorrow, Friday, morning, by about seven a.m. or seven thirty a.m., depending on how the morning is progressing for me. The papers podcast is a relatively new thing. It's just the papers. That is all it is. It is me reading uh, the papers. Right. So I will finally take my leave of you. If uh, I do join, if I do bump into you on Sunday morning, well and good. If not, the Richie Allen show will be back this coming Monday at four o'clock UK time. I hope you join me at 4 o'clock UK time uh, on Monday. In the meantime, I hope you and yours have an absolutely fantastic weekend. Look after yourselves and one another. My weekend, bit of sport. Salford Red Devils, home to Castleford at the Salford Community Stadium on Sunday after the Melodies. I'll be there. I'm looking forward to that first home game of the season. That is how I release a bit of stress and chill. Bit of sport for me. Right, until next time, bye. See you soon.